Infrastructure is crumbling and the problems are only getting worse. The pressure to find solutions is hot. Let's talk about why American cities have no water, no electricity, and no money to fix their infrastructure problems. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast, hosted by Chad Smelter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. My name is Chad Smelter. I am your host. Today's guest is Alan Dodd, who's the Director of Public Works for Fort Lauderdale. Thanks for joining me, Alan. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Now, Alan, you and I talked before we did the podcast, and I got a little background on you and and where you came from and where you started. Um, But I I generally get into your past first to kind of understand a little bit more about you. And you told me that you were in the Army for 20 years, was it? Uh, 28 years. I, uh, 20? I enlisted in 1983, um, got commissioned in 1989 as an engineering officer and was in until 2015. Wow. That's, that's, an, that's impressive. Then you, uh, got into public works and went to the public sector, uh, working. How, how was that transition? Like, I'm just curious. <laughs> Well, it, it's definitely a change. Uh, I was on the federal government side. My last job was with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, where we did very large infrastructure projects. I came to Fort Lauderdale in uh, the engineering division of public works at that time. And uh, the entire focus is different. It was on small neighborhood projects where uh, every day your priorities were changing based on requests from the community. And, and you really saw the immediate impacts of the projects because they, you were completing things in a matter of weeks and months versus years. Years, yeah, that has the, well, I would imagine that's a, that's, that's gotta feel good though, within, than having a, a year long, years out projects versus like, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it, it's a different focus. You can actually see the people that you're impacting every day. You're, you're talking with the, um, the elderly woman on the street corner who has a problem with her sidewalk and you're, right. uh, when you fix it, uh, you get the gratitude of knowing that you made her day better. Yeah, that's that, and that's the most important part about public works and public sector is is helping the community and helping the people that are living in those communities. So, uh, thank you for your uh, you know being in the military and 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 serving. Uh, that's that's it's great. I mean, we we need more guys like you uh, doing that. I mean, that's that's a that's a big thing. Well, it, it, it's all about service to the nation, and I would say that. Uh, Everybody who was in the uh, the public works sector and the engineering sector helping to work with our national infrastructure is making a huge commitment to our, our nation as a whole. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, quick question about your family, your history. Uh, did your you know, did how did you get into the military? Was your dad or mom in the military? Like, how did that that work? No, I was in high school trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life, and okay. uh, and. Yeah, at 17, you're not really sure. So I said, I'm going to join the Army. And uh, I enlisted. I went through basic training and uh, found I liked it. So then the opportunity came to go to West Point. So I applied, got in. That's how I became an officer. But it, was, it, it wasn't I was, had ever planned for. It just kind of happened. And I had a lot of great opportunities that came my way because of it, which got me to the point that I'm at now. Yeah, that's 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 great. Uh, what was it like at West Point? I, I would... I, I, I've never, I've just heard stories, but I was just curious on, on your experience there. It, it, it's a different type of a school, but I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, the motto is duty, honor, country. 
and they really focus on, they teach you the discipline to really commit to uh, whatever you have to get accomplished to focus on the mission. Uh, they teach you a lot about teamwork and uh, you know the higher priorities of serving the nation. That really helps you when you go into uh, difficult military situations. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Sounds like a, a, some things we could use nowadays for our youth and young kids, like getting into these kind of programs, you know, that are more structured to help, you know, support uh, teamwork and things. It's one of those things, and especially like with labor shortages, it'd be nice to have something like that, you know, you could, you know, get people from to, to, to join into, you know, public works and they're already kind of educated and structured and stuff. That, that's one of our huge challenges on the government side is getting people to fill our, our vacancies. Like like every other you know company that is out there, we, we have a lot of challenges getting engineers to sign up and, and fill our roles. And, but when you start talking about how you're, you're serving people, how you're bringing value to the neighborhood, uh, you become a problem solver and not just somebody who's doing design work in the background. Uh, that's what gets them interested in, in working for us. So. Uh, it, it, it is more than just a nine to five job for a lot of our employees. Yeah, I can imagine it's it's a for you being on call most of the time and, you know, always, you know, you never know what's going to happen some days. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Yeah, where it's always uh, one day away from a, a water pipe break that may change your whole focus. <laughs> it's, that's, a, that's a great analogy. That's true. Very true. Now. Your focus is on resi resiliency and infrastructure. We talked about this uh, a little bit previously. Can you elaborate more on that and what, how you envision this? Okay, so, um, and maybe I should talk a little bit in Fort Lauderdale. The Public Works Department is responsible for uh, the entire water treatment and distribution system for the city and, and six other cities around us. Uh, the wastewater uh, collection and treatment systems, uh, as well as the stormwater system and roads and sidewalks and things like that. So as we're looking at our current infrastructure and how it supports our, our residents, uh, we're really seeing it impacted by climate change. And uh, particularly in South Florida, hurricanes are a really big topic. Uh, king tides are a big topic because it, it affects how well we can drain. Uh, so it's a natural combination to incorporate resilience into infrastructure. Uh, you, you can't build new infrastructure if you don't take into account the future conditions that we'll be dealing with. Uh, a bridge is here for 70 or 80 years. Uh, stormwater infrastructure is here for 50 years. Seawalls, you know, uh, we have to build for the conditions of tomorrow, not today. So that, that's, that's why we bring both of those together into one planning process. That is uh, something I've realized over the last several years. Uh, I've noticed in like specifications, writing specifications for projects. I have, uh, engineers tend to sometimes use older specifications that don't really talk about like rain events, future rain events, like all these you know hundred-year storms we're getting now, almost every five years, maybe ten years, you know, stuff like that. But we're undersizing the infrastructure based on old plans, you know, specifications. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because that's what I've heard, you know, I've heard this. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll bring it up in, in two ways. Uh, seawalls. Uh, five years ago, our seawalls had a maximum height and that maximum elevation, 
to ensure that we had drainage coming off of the neighborhoods into the canal system. And what happened is they were all getting overtopped because of sea level rise and, uh, and higher surges that happened during uh, weather events. So we, we've had to change to a minimum standard, which is higher than that previous maximum standard was. Uh, we've raised the height of the seawalls and we are systematically changing uh, our shorelines to accommodate sea level rise. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, even in underground, yeah, stormwaters, if you undersize a pipe, it's over. You know, it's, it, it can't, it can only hold so much. And if you didn't design it correctly, it's, it can really impact a lot of your, like you're talking about the future of your, you know, flooding. Like you, you and I talked about that too with a, a flood you just had in April of last, this year. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, a lot of the stormwater infrastructure was designed in the 1960s and 1970s, constructed to meet a, a different type of conditions that we have now. It was designed to a, a we call a five-year uh, level of service. Basically, the am amount of rain you would get over 24 hours in a uh, once every five years on, on probability. And what we're seeing is that we get those type of rainstorm, which is up to three inches of rain in 24 hours. We probably get that a dozen times or more during uh, a year in the rainy season and now we're seeing six seven inches of rain uh we, we've had that probably a half dozen times already this year so the infrastructure isn't prepared to handle the capacity of water that's coming into it which is causing local flooding yeah and in, in april we had a, a, a catastrophic event with 26 inches of rain in 12 hours that just devastated some neighborhoods uh they had three to four feet of water in people's houses uh, putting people at risk where we were doing evacuation operations recovery, trying to get them out. And, and that really caused us to change our priorities to make sure that we are building our infrastructure as resilient as possible for those future conditions that we know are coming. Yeah. I, it, it's got to be hard to predict it, though, or, you know, to justify, is, I guess what I'm trying to get at, is it, hard to justify the extra cost of designing of you know for the future it it's not so hard after you have a catastrophic event okay got it <laughs> that makes sense you know for short term but when you see the changes that are impacting people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis now king tides uh in some parts of our city have we have king tide flooding uh, day after day after day those residents are saying you have to do something more. And so they've been very willing to accept. Uh, we have a 10% increase in our stormwater rate. That's okay. what here. Everybody is supporting it. Everybody is moving forward. Uh, we're actually going to have a 25% increase this year and next on our water rates. Wow. Okay. So we can build a new $485 million water treatment plant, state of the art, prepared to protect us from hurricanes, Cat 5 hurricanes. And, and to deal with PFAS regulations and future conditions. And yes. our citizens, our residents fully support it because they know that that is the only way that we will be prepared for tomorrow. Like we have to invest in infrastructure. What did you do differently to get the buy-in from your constituents versus other cities that just can't get to that level of a 25% increase? It is a constant engagement with HOAs, with uh, civic associations, uh, I probably go to two or three evening meetings uh, almost every week, having the discussions about what our priorities are and what we need to uh, accomplish them. 
and everybody wants their sidewalks fixed but it's only when you have the conversation about the bigger picture how the sidewalks for the cities are and how much we need for funding to support that that you get them on board so it, it's almost a discussion with every single citizen in one way or another to build support for our programs that's that's one thing i talk about all the time is transparency you know if you can show the constituents like on a visual perspective of like a, a broken pipe or a broken this or you know something that's falling apart and justify the expense i think you get a lot more buy-in uh to get those rate increases that you're talking about so in 19 oh 19 in 2017 2018 we had uh, somewhere around 32 major sewage pipe breaks force mains that broke and so we brought sections of the pipe where you could see it, the pipe was about half an inch thick on the top and sand and grit had worn away the bottom of the pipe to where it was, it was paper thin and it just would split open. We said, this is the condition of your pipes and we're gonna keep having these breaks and you're gonna have sewage in your neighborhoods until we fix it. Uh, the commission approved a $200 million bond. We've replaced 20% of all the force mains in the city over the last four years. When we see the problems, and we present the solution, they supported us in, in making those changes. Yeah, that's significant. I mean, to be able to get that level of buy-in and that you know type of money to fix infrastructure is hard for a lot of cities to do that. So great job on your end for, for moving that forward. And, and you just started in Fort Lauderdale right around that time, right? 2016, 17? I, I, I was here from 2015 to 2018. Okay. And, and then I left for a few years and I was, doing more resilient stuff for the city of Miami. And two years ago, I came back to, to be the director and uh, really focused more on the infrastructure uh, construction part of it. Got it, got it, okay, nice, that's that's awesome. So we were talking about uh, the size of your budget. It was like 700, $800 million that uh, you you currently, you know, have to handle a lot of projects out of that, I would assume. We were talking about procurement. What are what are some of the things going on with budget and procurement right now with with what you are trying to get done? Right. Well, my the operational budget I'm working with is around 171 million this year. Okay. And on the capital side, we have about 800 million in projects, and that is everything from uh, water, wastewater pipes. Uh, we, we just built a, a, a new uh, enhancement to our sewage treatment plant. Uh, VPSA facility, uh, building fire stations, uh, you, you name it. We're uh, we're getting ready in uh, in about a week and a half. We'll be awarding a contract to replace one of the bridges in the city. Okay. It, it really it's, it's every aspect of infrastructure that uh, you see and touch out on the roads. Yeah, Florida is just booming. I mean, people are moving there, and the infrastructure is you know exploding and you know, there's a lot of work that needs to get done there to, to handle all that, I would assume. I, I'm, I'm really curious about this, uh, you know, the water treatment facility you're talking about designing and building, or, or maybe you are, it, it's in the works, right? Yeah, so uh, we went through uh, the five ash water treatment plant is 70 years old, uh, been enhanced, expanded four or five times over the past 70 years. Uh, did not meet any type of hurricane standards, has problem processing the water where the water comes out yellow. 
And so a, a lot of challenges with it. And that yellow is bad when you're in a tourism community. Right. Okay. But so uh, we actually use the public-private partnership method uh, to get proposals. And then we, we selected one to replace the plant. Uh, so we hope to break ground in late September, early October of this year. And they have four years to build it and get into operation a, a 50 MGD plant. And it's wow. using nanofiltration ion exchange technology. Uh, we'll get rid of all the PFAS. And, and most importantly, it's hardened so that we will never lose our plant. Yeah, that's that's important, especially during a Cat 5 hurricane. No, that's, that's a big and, deal. And I should point out the part of the impetus to really get support behind it uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, we had a contractor who uh, was doing uh, boring for a, uh, a utility pipe and they drilled through the main feed water pipe leading to the plant. The entire city lost water for almost 24 hours. Oof. And we didn't have the redundant systems in place to switch over to another line and continue feeding our plant. So that's okay. one of the things that we uh, will never have never have that challenge again with this new plant. It has got backup systems, redundant pipes, uh, everything you need to guarantee that we will continue being able to deliver water to our residents. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's it's important. I mean, just having that secondary system there in case something ever happens is is very important. Yeah. If you uh, you were talking about. Uh, change orders and procurement. And then I, I talked to other public works directors in Florida too, and they're talking about trying to get projects out quickly to stay competitive and get contractors that, you know, want to bid on them, you know, basically just trying to get their projects out as fast as they can because they're competing against other cities. Have you had to deal with any of that stuff? It's a huge competition in South Florida. There, okay. There's so much work that has to happen and there's only certain companies that can do it. And, and the procurement rules are written in a way to protect a lot of interests, not just getting projects done. They'll look for fair competition. Uh, they're looking to make sure you meet a lot of regulatory requirements. And it gets really frustrating when you have a team that just wants to get things in the ground. So uh, we have a challenge. And we know that every time that we put a project out, uh, we're only going to get bids if the contractors have the capacity to deliver those projects. So it, it, it's a huge challenge and you end up paying top dollar per project, sometimes more than that because there's just no availability. We, we've had to go out and uh, competitively rebid projects, you know, more than once or extend it and then encourage somebody to bid on the project because they just don't have the bandwidth to take on the extra work that we need to have done. It's got to be tough uh, for everybody uh, down in South Florida. You know, the, I feel bad for the cities, you know, trying to get all that done. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for contractors, too, because everyone's in a labor shortage, right? It's like, how is, you know, you're trying to get stuff done with no labor. They're trying to get more projects completed for you with no labor. And it's just a struggle all around, it seems like. If, if you want to have a, a steady job, be in construction doing infrastructure, at, at least in, in Florida, because, yeah, yeah. you know, we talked to the consultants and the contractors and they were all asking if we have anybody to fill a position and, and we're talking to them and trying to get their people to come over and fill our positions. Uh, if you can, 
you know, design a, a pump house, if you can manage a project putting pipes in the ground, uh, you'll have six people who are actively working to recruit you while you're down here. And the weather's nice. So we should offer that. It's a beautiful area. <laughs> so. We have the best beaches in the country. Yeah, that's what we're going to sell it on. You know, move to Florida, do labor, you know, and yeah. get into construction and infrastructure. That's for sure. Now, uh, we're talking about the future of, of infrastructure, kind of pivoting our conversation, asset management, digital twin, things like that. What's your perspective on, like, the future of, of what we're going to be able to do in public works? Okay, so uh, we have been investing heavily in asset management for the last okay. three years. And, and there, we have hundreds and hundreds of miles of pipe. We have 186 pump stations. We have three large uh, treatment plants. And you can't manage it effectively on Excel spreadsheets and uh, sticky notes. So uh, we've been trying to map all of those systems, getting into an asset management system where we're prioritizing, where we're doing maintenance, where we're replacing uh, components and really trying to use, uh, hopefully at some point, AI to help us to identify, predict where the systems will fail before they do. And, and that's really, I think, the future of public works infrastructure is using technology to understand how your systems are operating, where you need to be investing more, and where your risks are. Yeah, there's a lot of data that needs to collect in you know, as a, you were you were talking, I was thinking about all the data, like a pipe underground that's maybe thirty years old, the soil conditions, things like that. All that plays a factor in the degradation of the pipe, right? The materials and things. That's it. Seems like it would be a lot to put into one system, you know, to to kind of manage that. And and where do we get all that information from? You know, that's that's. But there's models that are out there right now, off the shelf yeah. models, and and we're getting ready. We're uh, going to be start a pilot project. Um, all water systems that use uh, IPCR models in subforest. So you, you have all your pipes, you know, your uh, your elevations of the ground. You, you can basically model when you get a two-inch rainfall where the water is going to fall, how it's going to collect in the systems, and how, where it'll eventually get discharged to. So okay. we have a company that's going to tie that with uh, weather models from the National Weather Center uh, IPCR. So they'll say in the next 72 hours, you're going to have rainstorm events predicted on these days at these times. And here's where you're going to have flooding. It takes into account groundwater levels. It takes into account for us uh, sea level rise and tidal variations going up the rivers and the canals so that we will know before an incident happens where the flooding will occur and how bad it's going to be so we can get resources in place. That is that is some smart city stuff right there. If we can get to that level of accuracy and and be able to predict flooding and 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 just safety in general is what I'm thinking about. Like getting out and preventing you know issues before someone gets stranded in water. We risk other fire officials you know to go out and save people from those stranded cars and stuff. They always get up, you know, always somebody trying to drive across a road that's flooded. Right. So it's it's one of those things. When we had our flooding event, we had hundreds and hundreds of cars that were stranded on the roads. I mean, they were blocking the roads, trying to drive through a foot of water. And if we, and that was a, you know an extreme event, but if if we knew that a certain road is going to have six or eight inches of rain on it, 
uh, we can get ready to divert traffic, work with uh, transportation folks to change signals to uh, divert folks. You, yeah. you can do a lot to prepare your folks and protect them better if you know you have a couple hours ahead to, to prepare for it. Yeah, that would be a huge advantage for us in public works, every you know everybody in general to to be able to do more predictability. As, as you talk, I would assume you've seen some of this digital twin that's coming out. I, you know, it kind of ties in the asset management, digital twin, predictability, things like that. What, what is your, uh, do you think the technology is there yet or, or are we just not ready for it? I, I think the technology is there to help us. Uh, the problem is, uh, folks like me, we, we don't really know all of the tools that are available out there. Some work better than others, depending on your situation. And, right. and the only way you know is you got to try a half dozen uh, things and see which one works for your situation. You, know, yeah. you have to take a chance, and sometimes it might not work. But if you don't try, you won't find the ones that will. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Have you guys used LiDAR in, in Fort Lauderdale? We use it heavily. Uh, oh, we did our stormwater master plan in 2017. Uh, we did a huge investment to do high-resolution LiDAR where it's basically on a, uh, a one meter grid with one tenth of an inch precision. Wow. And that's what we modeled our entire, our stormwater basins based on. That's really cool. I, I, you and I talked about the stormwater thing. I can't wait to see that and, and go through that at some point in time. Uh, it, it well, sounds really neat. Just the IPCR model of the city, the, the model itself is two terabytes of data. Wow. That's a lot of data. <laughs> what other technology are you looking at in um, Fort Lauderdale? So, um, I mean, nothing fancy asset management. We're using um, some acoustic sensors on water pipes that will help okay. us so if we have leaks or breaks in the pipe. Uh, mm -hmm. We have limited success with those so far. Okay. A lot in the plant with uh, flow meters and other types of sensors. Uh, uh, SCADA systems, you know, uh, all of our uh, wastewater treatment or our lift stations are on a SCADA system so that we can monitor flows, uh, look for high pressure that may lead to, to breaks. But uh, it's, it's not anything new and innovative that's out there. It's a lot of systems that have been around for a long time that we're just bringing into our, our overall portfolio. Yeah. I, I, have you tried drones or anything like that yet? Just curious. Uh, we do have drones and uh, use them in a limited fashion on the stormwater side. Uh, well, part of our problem is we have a lot of outfalls going into canals, and the stormwater folks can't see the condition of the pipe. So we'll actually use a drone, fly it over the canal so you can see in from the water side uh, a lot faster than getting a boat and trying to look at it from that way. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it makes sense. Uh, as we kind of wrap up here, we got a couple more minutes. I'd like to understand a little bit more about your your views on like climate change. You know, we, we kind of started off talking about it, but can you give advice to other cities as they're kind of grappling with climate change right now? Yeah, so um, climate change is a huge topic for us. Uh, and, and we started talking about it a little bit at the beginning. Um, we're dealing with sea level rise in a huge way. We've already seen uh, about nine inches of sea level rise in 1992. Uh, we're expecting anywhere from 21 to 40 inches of sea level rise over the next 50 years. And we're building infrastructure today for conditions 
50 years from now. So what does that mean on our, our low-lying neighborhoods? Uh, all the seawalls have to be raised. Uh, exfiltration trench and gravity uh, stormwater systems aren't going to work the way they used to. So we're going to more pump stations in our stormwater design. And in some neighborhoods, there's areas that we know that there's no way that we'll be able to, to save them. So we need to prepare for how we're going to manage that water uh, mechanically, or the, the ocean will take them back. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a, a real challenge. As, you know, higher frequency storms, uh, rainfall events, uh, climate change is uh, impacting every part of uh, building elevations. Now, uh, the base floor elevation has to be raised to, to prevent flooding. Yeah. Good, good stuff. It's one of those things where you just never know nowadays where you're going to end up with, you know, significant flooding, rain events, things like that. It, the, the world is changing rapidly. I mean, you're dealing with a hurricane today up in Tallahassee, up in, up in the, the northern part of Florida. You know, that's it's it's that time of the year. Right. But but the great thing is climate change isn't happening immediately. It's gradual over the next 50 years. So if you can model and know what's going to happen 30 or 40 years from now, you can start making those changes in your infrastructure today that you will need in 20 or 30 years. But you, you can't wait until it's overtopping the seawalls to say, now it's time to raise them. Right. That, that's what we're doing. Is we, we are raising them now so that we are prepared for tomorrow. Yeah. Proactive progression. That's It's huge. And Alan, you're doing a great job there in, in Fort Lauderdale. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And if people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach out? Uh, my email address is adodg at fortlauderdale.gov. And that's probably awesome. the easiest way. Well, thank you again, Alan. And truly appreciate your time for giving us your insight on what's happening in Florida and what you've done to uh, help us and infrastructure. So thank you so much and for your service as well. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to, to be with you today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. We hope that this show brought you some insight on relevant topics within the infrastructure world. Please join us every two weeks on Tuesday for the next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please set up a 15-minute interview with your host at calendly.com slash chadsmeltzer.